From the Heart.org Radio, this is The Fellow's Corner. It's a pleasure today to have Dr. William Balky of the University of Kentucky here on TheHeart.org to discuss funding opportunities for young cardiovascular investigators. Dr. Balky, in addition to being the Senior Associate Dean for Research at the University of Kentucky and a leading researcher in his field, is also a champion for junior cardiovascular investigators at the fellow level and in early career. Dr. Balky, welcome to TheHeart.org. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we start in on specific funding opportunities, I wanted to get your general insights into creating an academic career. Uh, Specifically, from your perspective, what do you see as the major advantages and disadvantages to a career in academic medicine, particularly as we move forward in these perhaps more challenging times? Well, I don't think there is a better time uh, in history to embark on a career in academic cardiovascular science. Uh, The uh, opportunities that have been presented in the post-genomic era are truly phenomenal. And uh, the potential to take those advances and uh, make uh, uh, positive impacts on the health and well-being of uh, patients in our communities, in our region, and across the nation have never been greater. So the potential for personal fulfillment and professional advancement in cardiovascular science, I think, are at their zenith. So... um, this should encourage anyone who's interested in pursuing uh, a research career uh, that uh, there's a lot uh, to be gained by it. To follow that up, for the short and, I guess, intermediate term, uh, many of us have had on our minds issues of the economy, and obviously that has the potential to affect NIH funding. Before we talk about specific funding opportunities, Do you think that someone early in their career should be concerned about uh, long-term funding issues? Well, I think uh, the uh, economic issues are something that we all are concerned about, whether we're in uh, cardiovascular science or not. Uh, So I think it's uh, a variable that's on both sides of the equation. So it, it shouldn't be a variable that should influence in a negative way one's pursuit of a cardiovascular career. Um, But that being said, ironically, uh, the opportunities for uh, investigators in the early stages of their career have never been better. There is a number of mechanisms uh, available for uh, supporting individuals at all stages of career development, and the competitiveness of those mechanisms are much more favorable than some of the traditional uh, R01 or uh, grant and aid mechanisms that are currently available for senior investigators. And I suspect, uh, if history is, uh, teaches us anything, is that individuals who are supported in those career development mechanisms now will find a much more favorable climate for extending their careers in four to five years uh, when they're ready to become established investigators. So I think even in the scenario, the financial scenario we're in right now, uh, the timing couldn't be better to embark on these kinds of careers. So to give us a framework to work from, um, obviously funding is one of the key components to creating an academic career. 
Could you maybe spend a, a moment talking about what the other key building blocks are to establishing a foundation for an academic career in, in cardiovascular sciences? Certainly, and I'll, I'll do this in two ways. One, I'll talk about the two primary issues or concerns that you need to address to develop an academic career, and then I will uh, identify the hurdles uh, that most individuals must get over to be a successful independent investigator. So the first issues are what are the, the metrics or the, the credentials that one needs to advance a career? And this is true at any stage, whether you're a postdoctoral uh, uh, trainee, whether you're a junior faculty member, or uh, a mid-level career investigator. And it, they're really measured in, uh, by two metrics. One is your productivity with regard to publications and abstracts, and your productivity with regard to grants. Lots of other things come into play, particularly in the uh, junior faculty or mid-level faculty, such as citizenship, prominence in uh, national or international venues, but all of those things are secondary to your productivity. So with regard to publications, no matter what stage of career development you're in, you should try to uh, be as productive as possible, putting out papers, putting out abstracts, uh, and clearly the closer you can get to be the first author or last author or corresponding author enhances uh, your stature as an emerging investigator. The second major uh, metric in career development is the ability to acquire funds to do your research. That typically takes the form of peer-reviewed grants and also industry-sponsored support. Uh, but peer-reviewed grants are really the gold standard, and this should be something that everybody should work for at each stage. So if you're a postdoctoral fellow, having a peer-reviewed grant as um, an NIH postdoctoral fellowship or an American Heart Association postdoctoral fellowship really distinguish you as uh, having great potential for a, a career in academic medicine. Moving on uh, in your career development, being the PI on other career development activities, and ultimately an independent research project are really the metrics by which you advance, that you can uh, be competitive in getting jobs at other institutions, and once at an institution, you can advance through the appointment, promotion, and tenure process. So that's really the best uh, indicator of uh, your potential and your mobility to move forward in your career. The major hurdles uh, or the major sort of watershed events that need to be accomplished in career development are really uh, three. One is developing your postgraduate uh, training such that you really position yourself for independence. And that is the area, uh, if you have a PhD for the, the last years of your postdoctoral training, or if you're clinically trained, the research years of your specialty or subspecialty training. So using that period to really begin to identify a research area that's important to you, that you can support with uh, an AHA or an NIH uh, postdoctoral fellowship is the first hurdle. And once you're beyond that and you get into a junior faculty position as an instructor or assistant professor, either on or off a tenure track, that is the next stage. Uh, being able to successfully translate that into a research program that enables you to get a career development award 
such as the American Heart Association Fellow to Faculty Award or the Scientific um, uh, or the SDG Sci- uh, Scientist Development Award or the NIH's uh, K mechanisms, either the K08, K23, or K01. This is another uh, major watershed event. And then I think the very next uh, watershed event is to get the first independent uh, research support uh, beyond those career developments. And this typically occurs in the first four to five years of junior faculty position where you transition from a, a career development program into an independent research program supported by a VA merit, an American Heart Association grant and aid or established investigator award, or an NIH R01. And I think the very last transition is when you have those awards, getting them competitively renewed. So you take your R01 and get its first competitive renewal or your VA merit and get it competitively renewed. This is your way of showing the scientific community in this country that you have graduated into a sustainable research program that's independently funded. In most institutions, including at the University of Kentucky and every other institution that I've been at, that demonstration of sustainable research program is the single most important criteria for the acquisition of tenure at the rank of either an associate professor or full professor. Uh, so I think understanding these clear, clear demarcations between the transitions in your career development better prepare you uh, for positioning your uh, productivity to meet those goals. You start out talking about that one of the real key parts of this is productivity and looking at grants and publications. And I think for some people like myself early on, that striking a balance between those two can be difficult. And I would wonder if you have advice on um, focusing on grant writing versus publications uh, and getting really into um, research before trying to write some kind of grant, whether you you have um, metrics for deciding how to strike that balance. Certainly. Um, In the very early stages of your career, in your pre-doctoral or your early postdoctoral experiences, most of us, including myself, did not really have a track record of abstracts and publications. And I don't think anyone expects people to do that. Uh, The grants that you apply for at those stages are grants that are awarded based on your demonstrated potential, uh, meaning your undergraduate or your, or your graduate school or medical school uh, transcripts, your grades, your score results, and uh, uh, letters of recommendation. Those awards are also based on the stature and the quality and productivity of your mentor. Once you get past those pre-doctoral or early postdoctoral awards, to really write an effective uh, uh, postdoctoral fellowship award, you need to have some productivity, uh, some abstracts or one paper of which you're an author somewhere uh, on the author list. So I think clearly if you had to make a decision, getting involved and getting committed to a research project that will generate uh, uh, manuscript or uh, abstract publications always precedes grant applications. Grant applications, except for the very early stages, are built on demonstrated productivity. Uh, and I think it's, it's a very reasonable um, expectation since future performance is often based on past performance. And 
people that can demonstrate productivity uh, are often the ones that have the highest likelihood of delivering uh, future uh, successes. So I think that is the way I would balance it. So if you're at if you've got a, a predoctoral award and you've got two years of support, focus most of your time on getting your work started, getting abstracts out, being part of papers, and then use that as the substrate or the raw material or the ammunition for your future grant applications. You'd also said that there are these steps, these hurdles that you go through, and um, you know, one of the ones that I think people in my position think so much about is the Career Development Award. And you already touched on the K Awards, the AHA um, Fellow to Faculty Awards, the um, Scientific uh, Awards. Before that, though, a lot of us um, in our post, uh, postgraduate training time or our fellowship time are looking to get some funding to help, I guess, transition through that period. And I would wonder if you could provide some examples of smaller awards um, that that people should look into or where they could find those. And also if there's if you see an importance between institutional awards like uh, the T32 versus uh, emphasizing individual awards. Okay. Those are great questions. <clears throat> In your postdoctoral training, if you are lucky enough to be supported on an institutional training award like an NIH T32 or an NIH Roadmap K12, or uh, then those are, are distinct honors. Uh, most institutions, uh, and we have many of those types of programs here at the University of Kentucky, are competitive. Not everybody who wants uh, those awards gets them. So if you are supported by those, then that should be listed on your uh, CV because it is a distinct honor, and it's a recognition uh, by your institution that they believe you have the potential uh, to move ahead and become an independent investigator. But even if you have that support, you should be encouraged and supported to apply for an individual award. So if you're on a... Um, uh, NIH T32, don't uh, just rest on your laurels, but apply for an individual uh, F32 award from the NIH. Because when you get it, you will be listed as a PI. You will definitely graduate and, and take a very positive step towards uh, uh, clearing that first hurdle in your career development. And it's very important. Plus, what it does is it frees up the resources from your institutional award to support somebody who's coming up behind you. So that's something I clearly encourage. And in our programs, we incubate all of our uh, training, institutional training awardees to go on to try to apply for individual awards. So that's very important. Um, also, the transition from postdoctoral training to junior faculty is probably of the four transitions that I mentioned earlier, the most difficult uh, and the most anxiety-provoking, I should say. And there are lots of ways to, to, uh, to make that transition less uh, onerous. One is to make sure you apply for these individual awards. Uh, some of them can be renewed so you can get two or three years' worth of support. And they can pretty much position you to be very competitive for the career development awards that kick in when you're a junior faculty member, like the K awards. But there are two awards that are specifically designed to smooth this transition from the last few years of postdoctoral training to the early years of junior faculty position. And they're very similar. One is the American Heart Association Fellow to Faculty Transition Award, and the other is the NIH Pathway to Independence Award, 
or the K99R00 award, which it's called. And both of these awards support uh, a few years of your, your uh, last postdoctoral training uh, under the uh, guidance of a mentor, and then support very generous uh, startup packages for your emergence as a junior faculty member at uh, a, a qualified institution in this country. And uh, these are wonderful awards, very competitive, but much less so than R01 awards, and enable the recipients to really uh, have a great deal of latitude in finding positions that will enhance their career. So those are, and also, there are a number of other philanthropies, other foundation awards that are targeted for this transition. And I, we don't have the time to go through all of them, but the American College of Cardiology and many others uh, have uh, awards for this period or for this uh, transition mode. So it's worth investigating. Excellent. Well, we're running out of time. I wanted to finish with one last question. And that is, is, is there a, a site or a place that you particularly recommend for your fellows uh, to go um, to get ideas about grants um, and for grant writing? Yes, and it's actually not one, but there are a couple. Um, there's uh, the Early Career uh, website uh, at the NIH, uh, which has a number of tools, not only descriptions of the mechanisms, but guidebooks on how to write grants, and the American Heart Association has a very robust uh, program for career development, mentoring, including workshops in, uh, the day before the scientific sessions, a new mentoring handbook, uh, which I contributed a small piece to that's just being released now, and the publication of a number of different articles, including some coming out under uh, uh, Alice Jacobs' uh, uh, mentorship in circulation about career development and the pathways that uh, uh, lead most frequently to success. So I would urge all people in their career development uh, trajectory to uh, really access uh, these uh, resources because they're invaluable. And I would have given anything to have had those kinds of resources when I was uh, developing my career. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I'm sure that this will be incredibly valuable to some of our readers and listeners. Uh, thank you again. Oh, it was my pleasure. You've been listening to The Fellows Corner on theheart.org radio.